Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monty. And we are back. You may, never, <laughs> you may not have thought we were gone, but as... <laughs> Johnny's back with a vengeance. <laughs> He's back with this a passion. Is, this is so funny. So I confess to going through periods of time with this podcast where I am not really clear where it's going, like where it's going. And I think in parallel, I'm also not clear like where I'm going. Like I'm not making fast enough progress. I'm not figuring things out fast enough and all that kind of stuff. And so you may have noticed that the episodes have slowed down a little bit. Greg and I are still talking, but different things have come up, transpired that we haven't recorded or there just hasn't been something to record on. So we haven't. So we had a long conversation the other night about, you know, how could we do things differently? Where, where, how could we approach things? And then I remembered and I thought, you know, this always happens. And we were talking about this on Skype. At some, whenever I kind of get to that, there's, it's a, it's happened like two or three times now where I get to the point of like, you know, this podcast, like there's really no discussion in the Facebook group, like things, it's just been really quiet and you know, that's okay. Maybe this thing's run its course. And inevitably at the moment, not when I think of quitting, but I'm just like, I don't know, someone new joins the Facebook group. <laughs> so thanks, Lynette. <laughs> you, uh, you kick things off again for me. So that led to um, some more discussion on a a comment or topic I think Amy had left. And so the topic of today is apologetics. <laughs> and some people have taken issue with um, Greg's criticism of the apologetics movement. And we're kind of going back and forth now to refine what exactly that is. And I'm finding it kind of fascinating because Lynette's contention was that Greg and I were doing apologetics in this podcast, to which I was like, well, what, how does that how, explain that more? Because we never set out to do this pod. Oh, I'll speak for myself. I don't think, yeah. We never set out as like, you know, we're going to do this podcast and, and win everyone over. It was, for me, it was help me sort all this out. I think this might make it for an interesting conversation and maybe somewhere someday it'll help someone else. So Mm -hmm. let's record it. Yeah. And so anyway, now I'm kind of, I think, wandering. But the, I don't know, I think, I, I thought maybe a first topic today is like what exactly an apologist is. Because... I think your definition of is it is it someone out to prove someone else wrong. But in Lynette's description of how she kind of understood what we were doing, it was the dialogue aspect of it that seemed to fit. So what do you think of all this so far? Well, I'm I'm glad that the fire is back. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're ready to go. Yeah, I love that John. John just kind of pinks me and says, "What are you doing this afternoon?" And I'm thinking, "Oh, he's only thinking one thing: podcasting." <laughs> and I, I love that. You know, I'm I'm really glad. I I hear what you're saying about. Um, I, I, yeah, I think Lynette and uh, and Amy have, uh, you know, continued to c- stimulate this conversation around uh, apologetics, Christian apologetics. Um, yeah, like, and I asked Amy a five. A question, really five questions. You know, how do you see the podcast as being apologetic? Who do you see our audience as being? How do you perceive us engaging with that audience? What do you see our goal as being? You mean Lynette? 
Oh, did I say Amy? Yeah, I meant Lynette. Yeah, Lynette. And what do you think the outcomes will be? And and Lynette, yeah, gave a gave some some uh, gave answers to those. You know, uh, some longer answers and, and some shorter ones, depending upon how much information she felt she had. Um, yeah, on the whole apologetics note. Uh, no, you, you know, on the one hand, I, I'm pleased to hear other people's perspectives. Um, doubtless, you know, I, I asked the question of Lynette um, because I was genuinely interested in what she had to say. Um, uh, in the same right, however, for myself, no, I, I don't see what we're doing as being uh, apologetics or having the intention to be apologetic. Apologetic, certainly. Um, you like, know, I mean. Maybe it's, is there such a thing as passive apologetics? <laughs> In other words, I I would like to think that, yeah, I'm not trying to win anyone over so much as let's talk about stuff. And if we talk about something that seems true or is true and you get it here, well, great. And if you don't, oh, like, that's okay, too. Yeah, and and I'll you know I'll just start off with the bomb, like just want to throw the bomb in right off, and just just have all the you know chaos and everything. Um, you know, apologetics is what Christians do for non Christians, and I'm interested in converting Christians to a better way of thinking and being. So when so you're you raise, an apologist to Christians, well, <laughs> yeah, you just don't we, like you just don't like that word. Well, no, yes and no. I mean, I like it better than some words, but I don't think it's the best word to describe what's what what we're maybe doing, or maybe I'm trying to do. But and I'll leave that word alone for now. What the other kind of words I'm thinking? But I guess where I'm heading is, you know, when you raise some of the issues that you have, I see you and I as being very, very much on the same page, you know, where you're saying, hey, you know, this doesn't work, this doesn't make sense, this has been the story and the message I've had from my childhood or my, you know, upbringing, my church time, and, you know, here's how it's played out for me, and a short story hasn't played out too well. And, you know, most of the times when we're talking about stuff, there's only been a couple of times where I can recall being really opposed to something you said you're saying like, i remember when you were talking about christianity and you you kind of were like yeah and it should be easy and i was like oh well, hold on where where'd that idea come from what about what about parenting well Is we parenting disagreed heavily about dan daly too well yeah there was some disagreement there too but um but we brought him on and straightened all that out yeah we had a great a great conversation so i i guess uh, yeah, I'm pretty apprehensive about the idea of seeing this as apologetics because apologetics is fairly well defined. Now, one of the things I'd be very interested in doing is wondering about the ex- expanding our sense of what, you know, apologetics means, I guess. Uh, can you try to – see, I, I just really don't think you can try to convert someone in the church you can try to, you know... But is it always meant for conversion? So this leads into... Well, finish, I guess it's, finish well, your I, thought, and then I want to go... I'm going to question yeah. that. Well, yeah, I think apologetics has as its goal, as its kind of approach, uh, it, as its goal to, to, to put across a way of thinking, a way of reasoning, and maybe a set of beliefs... 
that are accurate or more accurate or more true. And it has as its approach then um, a kind of intellectual um, epistemological orientation that would kind of walk into this matter. Obviously, if we're talking about what's true, what's not true, what's better ways of thinking, what are better ideas and better belief sets, we're talking about something that's going to be really guided and directed uh, rationally. And I have issues with all of the above. You know, I don't think that uh, Christianity is... uh, There are are definitely substantial and and essential components that are intellectually... You know, that we we apprehend intellectually that, that are about truth and about um, knowledge but but so much of what i have read and and everything that i've encountered in fact i don't know anything that i have read on apologetics or apologeticists or anyone that i don't know anything that i've i've encountered that that isn't kind of about discussions about who god is why god is better than atheism or this or that and and there's 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 nothing in it that resembles real life. It's a kind of uh, at very best it's a discussion. Usually it's a debate. It can be a dispute. And this is not the way I live my life, you know. And when you are so when you are putting across your your I think one of the things that Lynette said is that you know I'm the apologist in this situation that I'm dialoguing with you about your thoughts and your questions. And I would say. No, not really. I'm mostly agreeing with you, taking your points further, pointing them back to Christians and saying, you know what? This doesn't work. You guys all say this works. It doesn't work. John's living proof of it. I've, you know, I I guess that's because really I've come from a similar place of disenchantment uh, that you have, except I took that further and lived those seven years as an agnostic. And you know, if somebody said, this is, this is the way I, I live my life, and it's a, kind of a, I don't know, uh, very similar to the way I was living when I was first a Christian, I would be very apprehensive for that person. You know, my, and, my, and if I was asked, I would say, I think there are better ways of doing things. I think you're going to run into some problems. I've got a lot of friends, actually. And most people I know from Labrie have gone through this road, and it just doesn't work. Like, it eventually runs out of gas. It runs into a brick wall. Or it just becomes something that, yeah, it, 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 it doesn't have the substance that you want it to have. It peters out. So back to this idea of conversion. So this, I think, though, that apologetics is often used as a, to kind of bolster or protect people, too. So I came across this idea in talking with someone recently where uh, someone was going to be entering a new environment. They're they're kind of coming from a Christian environment. They're going to be going into a fairly secular environment. And the sense was, you know, uh, reading and preparing and understanding the arguments against atheism and um, that, you know, going into this new setting that, they could potentially be won over by these arguments for atheism that are so clear and compelling. And so it's important to kind of show ahead of time that those arguments, in fact, are false. And 
So I would see that as more of, maybe that's more of the defending the faith part of apologetics versus the conversion part. But the the part, the problem I saw with it or that, that I thought of personally is I thought, wow, you know, in college, I was reading and attending all kinds of classes like this so that, you know, not so that I could defend my faith, but so that I could have one, so that I could understand it, so that it would make sense. And the problem was it, it didn't work. Yeah. I had all the logical arguments why. I could sit in J.P. Moreland's class on whatever it was called, and you know he could rattle off any number of compelling arguments for God's existence. But it didn't make God any more real in my life. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the part that's missing, and that's the part I wonder about. I'm not saying I'm I'm swinging all the way over to your side on on your thoughts on Ravi, but <laughs> that, but but to me, it really does feel like you were saying that the apologetics thing is a very much an intellectual exercise, yeah. and I think the intellectual only gets you so far. So you equip this person going into this potentially hostile environment with all the right arguments. But if they don't experience God as real and this thing, I guess, that I'm looking for myself, it runs out of gas eventually. Like, mm-hmm. you can't, it's like mentally assenting to being in love with someone. You can't. Like, it doesn't work. <laughs> that is a great example, John. So so I guess that's kind of, I feel like that's that's potentially the the, the shortcomings of the apologetics thing is... It's it may be intellectually sound, but does it really mm. deliver all the goods? Can it yeah. really deliver the whole thing? Because because for me, the missing piece is the experiential component. I don't know mm. if the, I don't know how they handle that or if they talk about it, but and I haven't delved into it or read any of it in years, and I don't really have an interest in reading any of it right now. <laughs> but I do recall all of those being very very step by step, very logical and you know pragmatic and and often very convincing and very compelling but at the end of the day if you know this is all true and yet you don't sense or experience god it's kind of like well now what well i think you're right on and and i I think there are kind of a couple things i would add to that if i may i mean one is you end up collecting it's 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 like collect i remember from my physics class i had to make a cue i was allowed to make a cue card Three and, a, eight, three and a half by five or something. It's right as small as I want. Put all the formulas on there I want. You know, and all those formulas aren't going to do me a darn worth of good if I don't know how to apply them, what the difference is between the one and the other, et cetera. Right? And, and this often is what seems to me to be the case with, with these people who focus on apologetics. This is not something they own. They're not, to go back to some of our language based on your mission statement, your personal mission statement, they're not owners of their own beliefs. You know, they've been brought up in this church. They, uh, they have been told these things. They, they, they've learned these, like it's like going off to, to college or university and learning proofs of, of why God exists or why God, you, you, in a certain sense, you don't need that, right? It, it, and I'm not saying, I'm not trying to make this all down to personal piety and emotional response because it's not, right? And I'm not sort of prioritizing the emotions and the imagination and experience over the intellect, but I'm knitting these things all together on the one hand. And on the other hand, yes, I would totally agree with you if you don't have this sense of ownership and, and, and even knowing what constitutes ownership. So I would say that there has to be a, 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 a strong 
sense of and understanding of being loved by God and loving God in return and being struck by being engaged with and engaging towards and embracing the truth of who God is, which ex- exceeds what's in the Bible. You know, I look all around me. I see a, a world that exists. I have information about that world through a plethora of sources. And, you know, again, the, the, the comment, I guess, is a little different when you're talking about a freshman going into college versus when I was sitting as a 35-year-old in a, a master's class, a graduate class, talking about Kant. But it's similar in the sense that in that Kant class, my prof was, was focusing on why Kant's religious beliefs or moral views aren't Christian. Well, bully that. I don't really <laughs> care. I want to know what Kant has to think, and I want to know how I can learn from this person. And I think that should be the same orientation that Christians have towards higher learning. You know, th- these people may draw conclusions that are uh, antithetical to my faith statements. Okay, but are they lying about the fact that mitochondria does this or that? Are they lying about the fact that, you know, the chemistries works in this way and not in that way? Odds are probably not, you know, and, and you know, I, I know we can take that line of thinking down towards some of the talks, the discussions about carbon dating and et cetera about evolution. <laughs> we can, we can go down that road, but, but, you know, um, this is, a, this is a, a, um, an extremely dangerous way of thinking to think that the entire scholarly and academic edifice has been designed by people whose sole goal or whose primary goal or whose 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 goals are set up in such a way that the 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 undermining of christianity is high enough to thwart them in the pursuit of truth once you start thinking like that i think you have you 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 have really committed to a view to embracing a suspicion of others without actually having enough information to do so. And probably, I I would say undoubtedly, actually, uh, not allowing that suspicion to rest on yourself sufficiently. So I I would say that's on the one hand, intellectually um, irresponsible. On the other hand, it's hypocritical. But I think there's extremely, extremely careful about that view. But I think there's a, there's a fear of like maybe naivety, naivety, like that people, yeah, if they don't, the, the arguments will just sound so good. And, and well, and then there's uh, this, here, I'll raise the discussion. You know, then there's this whole uh, Satan, you know, the idea that the deceiver is out there, you know, trying to lead everyone astray. And so if, I don't know what to think about this, but someone would say, well, if you're not vigilant against that and you just think that, you know, you can just walk into a secular environment and God will just take care of you. I mean, that's ridiculous. You've got to, you know, you've got to put on the the armor and, you know, whatever else is in that verse and, you know, <laughs> the armor of God and, you know, you've got to prepare and uh, yeah. So what do you say to that? I think, again, there's a, there's an ex. It's going to depend a lot on how, what it means to, to be going to church. What does it mean to be a Christian? If most of your Christian life is all about trying to have some sort of, uh, I don't know, cue card physics class memorization of formulas, then man, you're in trouble. You know, I don't think that that alone is going to help people go through university because all it's going to do is it's going to be these enormous walls you put up all around you. How on earth can you learn anything? 
from anyone else, particularly from someone who might be an atheist. And I, I think this is a really dangerous idea, the idea that the only place we're finding truth is in the Bible, and the Bible is where we start. And I don't agree with that. I never started with the Bible. I was a little baby. I couldn't read. I began to acquire truth all through my existence. Now that truth is, you know, some of that uh, gets pared down. Some of it gets, you know, the shine wears off of it. So some of it shows up for what it is and not truth at all. But I think we need to be really, really savvy and in not kind of having this reductionistic view that we start with the Bible, that everything's in the Bible, that it all has to match with the Bible. That's a, that's a ludicrous proposition that the biblical text itself does not support. That's a view added on to Christianity that has that's that's not within and and incumbent upon the Christian faith at all. So let's so, put this in real terms. Okay, so I'm thinking you, one of your kids is getting older. I don't know how far mm-hmm. they are away from college. Mm-hmm. At some point, they may go away to college and be on their mm-hmm. own. What what do you see in terms of preparing them, like? Are you thinking in those terms? Are you like, what do you worry about in that regard? Do, like, how do you think of that? Honestly, I'm not concerned about it very much. You know, I, and I know that may sound. It sounds like I almost kind of negligent. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe people would take it that way. Um, but, but again, uh, my kids have seen, you know, more than anything else, when you're talking about experiencing God's love and thinking about God's love, they understand the notion that God loves us through the fact that their parents, in, in, in really kind of focusing on God and the, the allowing uh, our family to be in community with, with a church that they love now and with people that they feel very loved by, known by, understood by, that's how Mama and Papa... My, my, my spouse and I came back together after 20 years, 20 months of separation, you know, and that's a pretty big claim. Most people can't claim that. And there's some real authenticity in the reunion that my spouse and I have as a married couple. And, you know, we put that forward to the kids. It's not like God did it. You know, it's not like I sat back and kind of sat on the couch and flipped channels and munched potato chips, <laughs> threw back a few beer, and all of a sudden I'm reconciled <laughs> with my spouse. You know, it doesn't work like that. But those kids have had a context of understanding God in real life. And so when they get information, I'm interested to know, do you find this compelling? That's cool. What's compelling about it? You so know, those are the words, conversations you have with them. Yeah, absolutely. And I trust them to come and talk to me about stuff. And if they make up their minds that God doesn't exist, I'm interested to know. What, what compelled you about that? What, what, what do you do with some of these other things? And they, you know, uh, I've not been in a situation so far when they won't share with me. My elder daughter's 15. Maybe that will change. But I know that, you know, when she gets frustrated by stuff, just because of the way our family has been working, where we are very open about discussing, you know, issues relative to whether it's a church situation that's gone awry. I mean, my kids have lived through they have lived through bad church situations already, and then they've been in the presence of my, my, my spouse and I, you know, their mother and their father, as we've been talking to other families who've lived through situations with that same church where things have gone very badly awry, where people have been very deeply hurt, and they've had to process this stuff. You know, I don't expose my kids to everything on an adult level, but some things, 
they hear and they come across, and I can't do much about that. Other things I expose them to at what I think is the pro- appropriate level. So I guess there's a degree of preparation long before some Christian individual is of college age and goes off to a higher learning institution. And I think to prepare that person to, you see, here's the deal, John, maybe they should be getting rid of the faith they have. I mean, quite frankly, I, I got rid of what I had in good riddance. I came from a church. I mean, we know, you know, the stories I tell, I'm getting totally right. wrapped up by this now, <laughs> I but I mean, half of, I'm just thinking about this and I, I can think about the people in my head and half of them have totally walked away from the faith and I understand why. And the other half, the people that I know that are still in it, I mean, some of these people are doing bad things. I mean, bad things. They're hurting a lot of people. And I've got some firsthand and, and, and really, really reliable secondhand information about this. I'm not, you know, shooting the crap here. And so maybe coming out of some of our churches, going into some place where people, A, have the space to think for themselves, B, are presented with other ideas, C, hopefully they've got enough solid relationships with people they trust and people who are good advisors and counselors to be able to weigh up those, that new information well. Like, in other words, the best preparation I can give my kids is the skills to weigh things up well and some reality checks, some normalization to say, hey, you know what? You're going to go in there and you're going to hear a lot of things. And that's going to be difficult to work with. I, I'm going to give you an example of something that happened to me. The, the, and I think this is really relevant. The church group where I'm leading the discussion group, we as a church not globally, but the movement has been made and the, the, the idea has been presented and grasped by a, almost 50% of the church. I would say we're about 40% now that we have to do something about the Syrian crisis, the Syrian refugee crisis. And so the request was made and, and I certainly accepted it that the morning discussion time that I lead at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings would be dedicated to discussing Syria. And that was last Sunday. We've decided to continue that. And in my mind, I'm happy to continue it as long as other people are happy to have that as the topic for the day. So every morning at 10 o'clock, we're discussing Syria, not just to talk about it, but to inform ourselves, to plan as a group, to try to network and partner with other churches to inspire and invigorate other areas, to consider uh, joining with us, and to find um, groups, NGOs, etc., that we want to direct money towards, whether that's... Um, um, relief efforts, whether that's development efforts, or whether that's sponsorship efforts. So this is your same discussion group. You're and still it, facilitating it. It's just that the subject right now is switched to the refugee crisis. It, yes, and it's 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 blossomed. It's now got like as I say, forty percent of the members of the of the church attendance in the adults is oh, it's is coming there. to this group. Oh my gosh, they're coming to this group. We've got a private Facebook group going. Like there's oh a goodness. lot of activity. Yeah. Now, now, one of the things that's happening, of course, is that if you if you do much reading on the Syrian situation, it is extremely complicated. Like I got in there as somebody who is a quasi-professional researcher. I mean, I've spent four years of my life just totally dedicated to research. So I've got a good sense of what to do. And I thought, okay, I'm going to come to terms with this and kind of get an understanding. I haven't paid much attention, time to pay attention, time to understand. It was a heck of a struggle to put this all together and figure out, okay, here's, here's where ISIL 
or if you like ISIS comes in, here's where these other groups fit in. Here's where the motivations are. Here's why we've got such longevity. Here's why this is such an issue. But on the course of discussion and through the Facebook book, book group, particularly different people are adding different posts. Great. That's what you'd want. But then we start having some very divergent information sources offering some very different stories. And I guess this is where I'd make the tie-in with going to university. So if you go to university and college as a, as a freshman, as an, as a, you know, an 18, 19-year-old, and you are um, exposed to new ideas, one of the things that's really, really important and t- really tough at the same time is knowing how to deal with that information. So in this particular case, uh, a couple of posts were made and I looked at them and I just thought, something's weird here. So I, I you know, I, I took some time and it, it, this is another thing. So normalizing this, engaging with new information takes time. doesn't matter how smart you are. And it really doesn't matter too much how experienced you are. I've got a lot of experienced, experience, pardon me, in this. And it took me a long time, but I began digging. The story was put out. It was put out, uh, I think it was attributed to the 11th or 10th of September. It, its references were two German newspapers. It was about a Moroccan citizen fleeing from Spain who is an Al-Qaeda promoter and recruiter who was caught in Germany and uh, also the uh, with false papers and that there are a flood of Syrian, false Syrian passports um, circulating particularly in the EU because the Syrians are identified as uh, refugees. They, they, they have the right to apply for refugee status maybe above and beyond most other population groups. So, of course, if you've got a Syrian passport, it's like a key into Europe. Great idea. The article was about you know, Al-Qaeda people infiltrating into Europe but with these false passports. And wouldn't you know, here's this Moroccan guy that's been caught with false papers in Germany. Big story. Well, I go and I'm, I'm just checking and checking and I, I can't find this story. I can't. So I, I eventually, here's what, here's what I find. And, and, and this is some of the dirty pool. Maybe you'll find this in a university setting. I certainly found this with this story. This particular website had linked together two stories that were not linked at all. In fact, they're 33 days apart. But the way that they presented them to sort of give a one-two punch you know, the, the one punch of false documents are circulating. Who knows who's going to come in? Oh, look, look who came in. We've got this, this, this person who is nothing other than an Al-Qaeda uh, supporter and recruiter. And, you know, the reality was these two events were separated by over a month. They're completely unrelated. But it wasn't until I dug enough through and tried to find these things. And again, because it was, these are German sources and my German is kind of like, you know, I can get five words out of 15 in a paragraph. It's not enough to read. So eventually, through enough work, I found that. But again, I guess fact-checking and these types of things are part of what it is to live as a human being. They're part of what it is to live in a complex world. They're not something that is just sort of unique to Christians. And then, you know, it's this whole defending the faith thing. I think that article you and I read some time ago, about three, four months ago, about you know this person talking about her experience in high school and how she was constantly ready to defend the faith. But what she realized is that after four years in high school, she'd really just thrown up a lot of barriers. There weren't too many people, in fact, maybe nobody, interested in attacking her or harassing her. 
but that she, by being so defensive, had really cut herself off from so many opportunities. And I guess that's what I would think. Well, it's so is subtle. It's so subtle. There's a diff. Like what I hear you saying is focusing on practicing, kind of, and it sounds like that's what you're doing with your kids. Kind of almost training them to think and to question and to analyze mm. and evaluate, mm. which is totally different than here. This is the proof for why it's impossible to be an atheist and God exists. Yeah. That's a totally different. Yeah. And then you end up like me with just like lots of facts and like, well, according to this archaeologist and this, I mean, this had to have happened and it probably happened around this time. And so therefore Jesus were it was real. And, you know, then, or this other person's like, well, look, you know, here's proof that Jesus rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess that all makes sense. So, but... It's not compelling, right? Well, it the, the presentation could be compelling, and it can be like, okay, that, yep, I can check the box. I can say with confidence that I can see how there's historical proof that Jesus rose from the dead. Okay. It's compelling if, if, from a logical, from a a logic or a case building it's like presenting a legal brief it's yeah. like okay well you know we have this webcam that shows that that this person that looks like this person the suspect was at the atm at 1201 a.m and then we see in this picture from this other webcam from this other building we see a knife in this other person's hand and you know you kind of piece it together and you're like yeah that person probably committed the crime mm-hmm and so in the same way that these, yeah, these, you build this case that this is what happened, but yes, for me, without the experiential connection to what it means. So yeah, I don't know. I'd like to pick that up another time. The, the, I think where I'd like to pick up is, you know, the Jesus dying for our sins. And we've had some back and forth with the listener on that. And, you know, I, I, Sometimes I think we should clarify more exactly like what do we mean by sin? And I think as you and I've talked, some different definitions have come out, but I'm not mm-hmm. really satisfied with it what any of those are. And now we've kind of I think wandered kind of off topic, but um, <laughs> well, let me throw something bring back. Bring us back. Well, I just want to throw you back to that that the the the, the legal brief because I, I think that was a really good presentation and that's I think what tends to be part of I I don't know how Someone, in other words, if I'm talking to somebody about something that's really important to me, I'm usually uh, telling them a, a story from my experience, right? And so instead, um, when you're when you're talking about presenting proofs or listing reasons why something is the case, you know, in, in the situation of, let's say, a legal brief concerning a, an assault or an attack or something like that, I would say that's convincing. You know, I would be convinced by the evidence that whether I'm doubtful or whether I'm no longer doubtful, that this situation more or less took place in more or less this way. But I think there's a large gap between being convinced that something took, that that the facts are accurate and being compelled to act in a certain way on those facts. And then on top of that, there's this whole difference in... um, So, you know, above and beyond this whole idea of convincing someone that certain facts are the case, we're not talking about facts. We're talking about a relationship. And and I have no idea how to present that outside of, here's my story. Well, I think some of these guys, like I said, I haven't read 
any of these apologetics in a long time. I think some of these guys do use personal story and do use, you know, this is what happened to me. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I'd want to paint it all that there's no personal example involved. Yeah, but I think I'm going further than that. I'm saying it's not just about using personal example. It's about that being, you know, there's not much abstract here. There's not much that's, that I, th- I can think of that's abstract. In other words, everything is taken in. I've, I'm trying to take in and, and bring as much of this biblical story into my life. Now, I can't take in the events that transpired with the patriarchs and with David. I mean, these things, in one sense, are always external to me. They're historical realities, right, that have been presented in particular ways. And some people would claim that they're not historical. I would argue against that. So if, if we're talking about that, that's always external to me, right? My reasons for thinking that they are historically valid and um, tangible are, are, are not part of my own lived existence. But when it comes to the significance of some of these things, that's something that's, that's always touching us, that's always connecting with us. And why? Because it can't be meaningful to you and authentic if it doesn't. So I have no yeah. sense then when you when they're in other words, the very approach of 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 beginning a dialogue with somebody or whatever it is, slipping somebody a track, maybe that's, you know, at the bottom of the totem pole, maybe that's the lowest uh form of interaction for some of these folks. But um in any event But I would close I, I don't know. I guess I would close it out by with two things. One, mm. I think there are I don't know. I I know I've heard testimonies and people that have said, you know, I read this book by this apologist and, you know, all of a sudden I was hit by a lightning bolt and I realized that this was true and I've never looked back. So I don't want to say I don't want to say there's no value in it. I'm just I don't know. I just wonder if maybe there is a there's a a portion of the of the world that this approach does do something for them and it does kind of it does fit the way that they're wired it just i know i can say for myself it didn't work it isn't helpful and so when i'm saying when i'm questioning it i'm kind of walking through it from that perspective of mm. i just wonder what if something's missing if you don't have the experience piece so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i don't know should we throw it out there to the listeners if they I'm I'm curious what other people think of this you know if you have um ideas or thoughts and write them in and you know what really helps us too is to tell us why you think a certain thing so yeah if you think something's wrong or right either way you know why you're thinking that or what you're basing it on and kind of how you get there mm-hmm. um definitely helps us kind of keep the conversation going and, and moving things forward. Absolutely. So. I want to throw two things in there. One, I think you're taking us towards a discussion of postmodernism. <laughs> really? And I'm happy about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because okay. we're talking about types of people this works for and types of people that it doesn't. I don't know so much about wiring as about some of the the ways of seeing the world that we've imbibed. And I think increasingly, okay. increasingly, particularly in the West, those are postmodern ways. Not solely, not entirely, but increasingly. And I think uh, the majority at this point definitely 
would be postmodern, various postmodern ways of kind of seeing reality. And I would throw to the listeners, I would say, you know, if you're positively oriented towards Christian apologetics, I mean, maybe this is, my thought is, tell me not just why, but offer me. Offer me some of the things. What, what is compelling to you? What is not just convincing in the sense that you assent to it, but compelling in the sense that it persuades you to act? And, and I'd like to know how these f- ideas, facts, scripture verses, I mean, that's, it's particularly scripture verses that I'm like, really? You're going to give me scripture verses about this stuff? You know, most of these people have heard this, but if, again, we've talked about this for a long time. If you don't adhere to the authority of scripture, what does that mean to you? So give us that stuff and tell us what's compelling and, and, and present it to us in the way that you would want it presented to you, that you would find it compelling. Because that, I think, would be really informative. I would really, I think that'd be really valuable. Say just a tiny bit more about the scripture versus thing. I'm not sure I understood that. You're saying that quoting a verse as support for something doesn't, I mean, doesn't yeah, do so, anything so, for you or does Well, it does for me in the sense that I am a Christian, but if I'm having a conversation, I remember you talking a while ago about a friend who was having a conversation with a Jehovah's Witness, and oh, yeah. <laughs> that person said, hey, you can come along, you can do whatever you like, just don't bring your Bible because I don't happen to believe that the Bible has any authority. So if you want to tell me why something's right and why something's wrong, right? then that's great. But but don't quote scripture at me. And And, and I guess I would want to say that too, you know, if you're going to present something to me as though I were, you know, someone that you were, uh, I don't know, trying to convince of something, which again, that the whole mentality doesn't work for me, right? That whole mentality is not how I'm built. It's not what I think is the right way to go about it. It's not how I live my life. It's not what I would advocate. And I don't think it's what in the 21st century in the Western world um, is, is the right way to be reading those scriptural verses that talk about making disciples. But and I know, sorry, that was a huge door hanger, <laughs> a door handle bomb. Just let a bomb off there. But yeah, the, throw us that stuff. And if, if a scriptural verse is compelling to you, cool. Explain and, why. Explain why. And just pretend it's like a piece of a play and act it out. Like, you know, I would, I would tie this scripture verse in with this situation that happened to me. I would make it real in this way. You know, or no, it's real enough on its own. All I need to do is present these things, and I would tie these things together in this way. Give us something that we can hang our hats on and we can understand a little bit. And uh, yeah, I just, that would, that would be really helpful. Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity Podcast. Notes and links for this episode are at untanglingchristianity.com. We welcome your thoughts and comments both at the website and our private Facebook group. If you'd like to join the private Facebook group, let us know your email address in the sidebar of the website to receive notes and links for each episode, and we'll send you an invite to our private group. Or you can send your thoughts or request to join the group by email. Send those emails to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. 
Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode.